Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Kleba. Mike is an educator and author. Together, we explored taking the first step, where creativity dies, what it means to be creative, and so much more. We were lucky enough to go inside of the classroom to speak with students and get their perspective on creativity as well. It was a great conversation with a great friend, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. How goes it? It goes amazingly. How are you? Michael Morgan, man, it's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing well. I'm talking to you from my high school. I'm a high school teacher. And uh, we're, we're, we're sliding in between ninth period. Awesome. Okay, that's great. Um, <laughs> I was mentioning before you joined how you were one of the first clients I uh, worked with when I started Status. And I remember our last call together where you were like, I'm just so fortunate to have worked with you. I, you know, you saw so much in me and it really meant a lot. Our kind of last few conversations as we're wrapping up the project. And it's something I actually go back to a lot. Awesome. That's uh, that's really cool to hear. And I'm excited to catch you up on what I've done since we worked together. You know, yeah. As to, as you put it to two people who interact with the world, the way you do, uh, I can't wait to tell you how important your work has been to me. It's really cool to get this chance. Not only because I like to do this sort of thing publicly, because I think it's nice for your audience and my audience to kind of see each other a bit um, and, and hear about a collaboration like ours, but also because I think public recognition of work is important for two reasons. One, it allows us to share value that is authentic and real. And two, and I think this is even more important, it shows that human connection reminds the human connection is everything. There is really, there's actually nothing that has any value at all to any of us that can't be understood at least in a in a certain way through human connection. And so I love getting that opportunity to like to say like Michael, like you you help me like crazy, dude. Like my my the place that I'm in right now with my book and with my work, so much of it has got it's scaffolded upon the work we did together. Great, man. It's really cool. Damn. Well. Thank you. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about that. But yeah, I agree with uh, with Peter KT. You're spitting facts already. <laughs> um, you're 100% right. This idea of like, what is the self without other selves and the function it serves when you're putting something out into the world, but if no one sees it, does it have a real effect? And is it, yeah, you could do things for yourself. Great. But most of the time we are doing it for others. Sometimes we don't even realize it. And uh, I've been really trying to get much better at recognizing people, their impact on me. And whether it's something really small or whether it's something tremendous, either way, um, letting them know how much they changed me. And honestly, working with you, working with all my clients, I learned something new. There's something I take away. But working with you, actually, one of my biggest takeaways was that point was the point of recognizing others when you don't have to, you don't need to, but how it feels and what it does for you, that recognition of where uh, someone made a difference in your life or how they made that difference or 
what that little nuanced skill that they have that sets them apart from you or other people uh, recognizing that you did that so often, so many times, and it really, really stuck with me. So um, thank you. Cheers, man. So I have a list of topics right now that I pulled from past lives and different ideas I've had. I chose these specifically for you. They're a word or two words. I want to hear your riff on them, your personal take. You can take it wherever you want. I love it. It's like my favorite kind of work where I kind of operate as a coach. Um, it's a little bit like what we talked about, Michael. It's a little bit like how we doing for me. I mean, I, I tried to give you that feedback working a few times. Like you very much being like a great kind of teacher. I'd find teaching is somebody doesn't actually teach anybody anything. What they do is they help other people find their way to understanding things. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you mm-hmm. can teach anybody. I think all you can do is understand their own world and help them teach themselves. So that's what you're going to see here. We have the rest of the class comes in. So uh, I just wanted to give you some context and let you know what's happening here. I love that. Teachers help people find their way towards understanding things. Yeah. So Mike's an artist. He's a, a thinker. I, I mean, he, he branding branding is amazing work. But more than that, I think he does a lot of coaching, uh, business coaching, kind of like, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? And how, um, I, I think he's going through status, right? Um, and he's also a sick artist. You know, does visual art. He's interested in music, art. Uh, he's into communication, identity and communication. How am I doing, Morgan? I love that. I, it's identity and communication are definitely the things I'm into, both very distinctly and where they converge. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, to your point is like, well, if creatives, if creative, if creativity is only for weirdos and for play, I don't want to be associated with either. I'm a serious person. I can get things done. My work impacts people. So I can't be a weirdo. Otherwise it won't do that. Um, yeah. So like, I, I'm just a, uh, engineer or whatever, you know, like um, whatever title that isn't, um, you know, juggler or <laughs> artist, you know, sure. totally. Um, yeah, I loved this idea that you'd be in class. And I was so excited when you told me this yesterday because, um, you know, I love talking to adults about this topic. We've been in it for a while. We've seen it from different angles and developed our views. But I was like, yeah, I haven't really asked younger people what they feel about this topic. And, you know, are they scared of it? Do they like it? Where does it fall in their head uh, and why? So that'll be fun to uh, pull the class as we go. Um, Also, if you're interested in it, I can go out where more students are. If you want to, I mean, I think that there's something fun about us dipping into this. And I have to be honest with you, Michael. I mean, there's something pretty exciting about the possibility of actually asking live high school students questions, like live, they're all live. But I mean, like live situation, high school students, what they think about things, because largely they're not asked what they think about anything. Right. One of the big things that I is that we have this weak relationship with high school students in our culture where we're, adults are like, kind of jealous of them to a certain extent, like because they're like, or whatever, like they have new responsibility and they're like messing around and doing their thing. And yet at the same time, kind of imprison them and project on them um, a lot of the things that think about what they should be doing and yeah. right, should be going. And so you get this weird kind of like, there's almost like this resentment slash kind of like, well, you know, they can do whatever they want. Uh, 
versus also like, yeah, but they also need to be helped out, need to hold them accountable. Mm. Things. And where's the room in there for productive uh, self-interrogation? <laughs> room in there for playing or um, producing things for no reason. And, mm. um, you know, and as you and I know, it's like some of the best work you'll ever do appears um, haphazardly. It happens at moments that you didn't expect. And it happens because you made space for rando things to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I think you're tapping into something, which is like, where does creativity start to fade away in our culture? It's kind of right in this establishment that you're in. Like, if there is ever a moment it's like, you're about to go to college, so be fucking serious. You came from elementary school and middle school. You are a baby then. Now you're somewhere between these two things. Your parents are like jealous of you, but also forcing you to be here. Um, so like, choose a side. Are you a total rebel who's going to do whatever you want and go one end of the spectrum? Or are you so serious and like, there's no room for play? Um these two, um, these, this, this polarity is set up, uh, sort of right at this, this age and this moment. Yeah, that's really well, Michael, that's, that's spot on. And this is the moment, this is the inflection point. You know, um, we talk about this, I think, about like childhood creativity and its value. And I think a lot of people say a lot about how they help kids keep the arc you know, sometimes look quote Picasso, talk about how everybody's born an artist, you know, et cetera, um, which is great. But that's an ultimate in the um, the machinery of how we turned into adults in this American culture that we're in. I think you're right. I think it's probably sixth, seventh, ninth grade that we really start to crush the notion that kids can have autonomy, artistic autonomy. Yeah creativity is at its most potent when you have agency over your own creative spirit where you feel like you own your your direction mm. and work with things you you have the power and we we basically take it from them yeah yeah take it right out of their hands i mean i remember growing up you know free i guess this was like elementary school drawing like uh maps of an underground like play areas for me and my neighbor and like, uh, you know, or like setting up cars and like thinking about how we could build like this tunnel towards to each other's houses. And, you know, no one said anything at the time. They, it was great. It was fun. They, they loved it. And, you know, but if I did that in high school, first of all, what might happen? Well, a teacher's like, well, why are you paying attention? Uh, a, a student is like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're a weirdo. Why are you drawing? Like, you know, this idea of like, um, that, that aspect of play, but then also there's another thing to it, which is like this, these social groups that are forming. It's like, who, who are you? What part of this, uh, system of identity do you fall into? Uh, I'm taking notes as you go, um, and listening. And I had mentioned this on one of the calls before talking about creative limitations, but also this idea of prompts, like, how and there's sort of limits in in a way they're like limits that help you expand your thinking um and you know you started by saying like 
I don't know the answer. What about trying to answer this question? Instead of being like, what do I do? Which is like the biggest question. Let's limit this question down to like, um, how could you write about the author's experience with this thing? Or how could you write about your own? Or like uh, kind of narrowing the scope and creating a prompt that's more generative, but still narrow. Uh, I saw you do that and it reminded me of this idea. Yeah, uh, I love the, I, Michael, I think that's it. And like, like, look at the work that you and I did and you know, so much of, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to share any of your proprietary process, but I, like, I can talk, like you walk me through a framework of asking and then answering questions to me and that fundamentally what all teaching slash learning is about. That's the dance. Mm. So this prompts. I also like the notion of what I call stems or models where you give a un incomplete piece of an answer and you invite somebody to carry it on their own way. Mm. That, that is the, uh, what you do, what you're, what you're constantly trying to provoke agency and you're trying to provoke Somebody goes like, oh, I'm driving the car as opposed to I'm checking boxes. I think that it's not just school. Do this culturally all the time. We yeah. there's a way to be married. We think the accountant. Mm -hmm. We think a good man. We, you know, right. It, what you need to do is you need to figure out what's your version of that. <laughs> what's mm -hmm. your own bespoke, never your yeah. And that in itself is a creative act. But if in high school, that's taken away, that's the last time you see it. Now you get into college and then the real world where you have full autonomy or close to, you're like, what is the answer? There's an answer somewhere and I need to find that instead of there's an answer and I can literally do whatever I want to solve that. But if you don't know and don't feel as though you can be creative, it's like, oh, I'm just going to find an answer. So that's the closest thing to my left or my right um, or the loudest person or the most elegant person or coolest person, whatever it is that you see. So that's, oh, we'll use that model. Um, I, I touched on, talked about high school students, like recognizing where they locate, like what all is in the tribe mm -hmm. and the group. We're human beings. We are normative creatures. That can be a weakness, right? It's not inherently one or the other. Right. But we do get tripped up because my, we often get sucked into what am I supposed to do instead of exploring what do I want to mm. do or what on or what pushes my buttons or how can I surprise myself? You know, the, the, the important questions often get sublimated under trying to be something or if I get this, like ipso facto, then this will happen. Um, and kind of formulaic response rather than organic uh, discovery. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really what it is. Like, it's that's a way of intellectualizing play, right? I mean, that's organic discovery, right? And, you know, uh, I'm, I have this vivid memory of setting up cars in my bedroom like all these different trucks, none of them matched. They were all just from different places. One was a Ninja Turtles one, one is a Hess truck, like and everything in between. The, but they're all going in this loop, which I didn't know why. And 
you're kind of figuring out on the fly, like, do I need to sort them in an order? Do I want to? Like, are they, can I connect them? Uh, you know, is, can I push one into the other? Why are they in this circle? I don't know. And I remember that creative act. I have no idea why that sticks with me, but there was no purpose. There was no inherent purpose. I wasn't doing this for my friends. I wasn't doing this for my family. I wasn't doing this for self identity. I was just doing it. And through that, I learned how to use the toys better and purposes or functions that those toys served that they didn't serve before. You know, the, oh, that thing could be a rocket ship too, or that thing could carry another thing. Or, you know, I don't remember what I took away from it. I know I still have this memory, but it wasn't, I didn't go into it with a purpose, but I emerged from it with new understanding. And I think that people sometimes see creative ventures around this time of high school as like, they're kind of a waste of time. Like you're not going to get anything out of it, but really what you're getting out of, you might not, you really might. Um, it's this investment, like the investment that you made in working with me, not knowing me, uh, what would happen, but saying like, I'm willing to not get the new laptop to work with you. And it, knowing that there would be something that would emerge, uh, and that openness is really important. Yeah. That's a long rant. Rant over it. I'm, I'm into it, man. I think it's great. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about, um, specifically, uh, process that you're working on now. You mentioned like the book. Um, I'd love to get a chance to talk about what I've learned now. Definitely. Here and, and some change after writing my book in a year after we worked together, basically. I mean, we, we went into the summer. So yeah. we're here of when we worked together. Uh, I'd love for us to swap a little bit of, of what we got out of it. And, and I'd like to know what you're writing about. So why don't, can we just start there? Like, what, what's this book that you're writing? Talk to me. Yeah, so it's interesting how these, again, this is a perfect example of what I just said. I started by doing lives with clients and I said, what I want to do is, what I want to do is speak to my clients that I've worked with, talk about our process, talk about process in general. Process is a really interesting thing. It's almost the opposite of creativity to many people. And it was a discussion around how do you integrate process and creativity. Like, how do you get a creative person to be excited about that? What I realized through conversation is that there are these intangibles, creativity is intangible many times, but there are intangibles that make up creativity, that make up the process of creativity that are so big and there isn't a right answer. They're, they're polar. Still, that's cool. Play and when to use it during creativity is there's not like you can't just say, oh, play all the time. That's how you're creative done. You know, like it's when do you employ play? You can play all the time and that has a certain result for certain reasons. And you cannot play ever and still be creative. Um, and that has certain functions for certain reasons. Um, and so some of those topics are me, it's now it has become an identification of these intangible aspects that make up creativity. Um, because we often overlook them. Momentum is one, environment is one, feedback is one, collaboration, self-esteem, or uh, uh, self-compassion, play. Those are the topics I actually chose for you today to, to riff on. But yeah, so that's sort of been the process for me. It's very meta and I'm working with uh, Christian Wheeler, who is uh, someone I met via the internet. Um, and he's helping me uh, write the book, so co-author, 
And I want to, the first thing I said to him was, this is extremely meta. We're emerging in a creative practice together to make a book about creativity. So we should be modeling the process, um, the way we would like it to exist. And um, the more we learn, we should be employing that and being conscious of each creative move as we go without getting too in our heads, obviously. Yeah, that's the book. I I love it. Well, it, it, it dovetails beautifully with not only, I think, the conversation we're having, obviously, but also the work that I get to do with the research leading up to the book and then the publishing of my book. Uh, mm-hmm. World through other people. Um, and that is, you said the word conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard you talk about like the space between the process that you make and also kind of the imaginative, iterative, kind of let it happen kind of thing. And the, you know, we, we talk about it through the lens of reflective practice. Um, I actually, I had something to add to the PTSD please. trauma conversation so, around um, people in the military. So I was working with a trainer who served in the Marines and he told me that, um, Oh, that's interesting. Spider just wrote in rates of PTSD for military who've never seen combat. Very high. Yes, that is true. That's yeah. what that's what Andrew's finding. And it's very interesting. Yeah. The other thing that I tapped into talking to my trainer was there's sort of like a post-war or post-battle um, review with a psychiatrist that all of the troops will go to but they're primed before going there of what's going to happen and what's going to be asked. And obviously it's a hyper-masculine environment. So um, they're kind of primed to say the right things because saying the wrong thing means that they can't fight anymore. Um, And that obviously has a big effect, uh, basically being trained to keep things in, uh, for lack of a better word. Check this out. Dude, this is from somebody in the audience. Um, Sebastian Junger. It's spelled J-U-N-G-E-R. Sebastian Junger. Check him out right now. He wrote a book called Tribe. He also wrote The Perfect Storm, which is a sick book. Um, and a halfway decent movie, too. But anyway, um, that book, it's called Tribe. It dives into this. Thanks for that. I forgot about that, dude. Um, and I'm really glad that somebody who's not even at my school is, like, literally teaching one of my students right now. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's just, uh, I, I know it got choppy to say it's really great to expose people to some of the inside of this because we all have such intimate memories of our own high school experience, but many of us forget um, exactly what it looked like, or we don't know. We have our childhood memory of it and our adult memory. Yeah. So Definitely. And there's there's that nuance and what we were covering earlier, this idea of like, when is creativity uh, lost or when does it start to fade or when is it branded something different? Um, and kind of seeing people's questions and, and concerns, this fear of being open uh, or like, should I be open? Should I explore this? Like, is that good or am I going to fail? You know, basically, uh, yeah. I forgot all about that, but I remember it now seeing this like oh yeah right that was when those questions popped in popped in popped up a lot of school is about the compliance model so a lot of students ask questions and for anybody who's on the call right now who is a, a student maybe in a college program or graduate program 
a lot of the questions we ask in school of each other is like, what does he want? What does she, what does she want? Uh, yeah. Like, when you like really take apart that question, that is a totally banal average question that you'll hear students. It's so fucked up. It's like such a crazy Like, yeah. what do you want? Like, who asked that of anybody yeah. up, like a tyrant, a warden, you know what I mean? Like a taskmaster, you know, you ask about the boss, you know, what's the you right. want? You know, it's like, but it's, and really, I mean, it's interesting because you get into the corporate space and the people that are doing the most in these big companies, and I've been there and I've done the most there is like not asking what anyone wants, <laughs> like giving people in the organization what they need, um, whether that's more organization or less or community in the organization or you know, uh, focus, whatever it may be, it's, it's not about what oftentimes what people think they, they want. So there's that nuance to it. It's like, you could ask what, what do they want? They might not even know. So you might not even get that answer. Um, Lugati is writing a paper about literally about Kanye West. Oh, amazing. Uh, he studied two works. He studied, uh, my Dark Beautiful Twisted Fantasy, uh, My Beautiful Dark Fantasy, sorry, which is such an incredible record. And I yeah. think he... 1808, I forget the other record. That, um, but, and, and what is he exploring? He's exploring the broken version of the American dream. He's exploring the, in a sense, the kind of, not just the, the fragility or fractured nature, I should say, of the American dream, but the deceit of the American dream, why it's a, it's a con. Um, and, uh, and he's having a hard time doing it, obviously, because, you know, what's a big, right? Big issue. Exactly. And, and, and it's so, it's fraught. It's, it's fraught with a lot of uh, political bromides. Um, people just wait on what they think. And then you get somebody like Kanye, who's a lightning rod for, I mean, he's, He's whatever you need him to be, right? You know, you love him, you hate him, you don't care about him. You finish what he's done, you lift up what he's done, you frame him through Trump, you frame him through bipolar or, or talking about his bipolarity, about mm. his fashion stuff, about his interactions with Taylor Swift, like, like, you know, his divorce with Kim, you know, like where it's so, his, you know, run for president, it's so fascinating. He's an interesting figure yeah. and it's, and he got a chance to do that, I think. That's super fun. I would definitely write a paper on Kanye West. Right. Um, there's so many good resources on that too. Spotify did a great series on Kanye West. Um, so, they have a podcast that like details his whole life. I think it's called Dissect. Like Spotify Dissect podcast or something like that. I felt too, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you know, one more thing about Kanye stuff. There's actually scholarship on him. So uh, let me just throw this out to the audience. I don't know when the last time you checked out Google Scholar. Um, Google Scholar is a product that is, uh, you know, like, you know, Google products are yep. like, uh, when they're good, they're magical. When they're yeah. not good, pressing. Um, Google Scholar is pretty magical. Um, you will find a broad and beautifully uh, rendered um, vertical search engine through a lot of scholarship, global scholarship on just about any topic. And there are people doing scholarship on Kanye West and, and, and Kanye's uh, look look at not only the American dream, the American economy, 
um, and how Kanye West has uh, tried to challenge what it means to be an artist um, and a commodifiable artist, an artist, a commercial artist who makes a lot of money, but yeah. it's also true to artistic principles, what have you, you know, that, you know, that divide. So anyway, right. check out Google Scholar, everybody, if you haven't checked it out, it's pretty neat. Good nerd out. One of my favorite things about Google Scholar is you could subscribe to alerts on different topics. So if you have a topic you're interested in, you could set alerts, you get an email in your inbox like every day, I think. Yep. I think it's every day uh, on updates if someone published something. I'm a nerd, I dig it. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I wrote, I had some questions for students that I wrote that we covered. I'm curious about, um, considering you wrote a book, just wondering what I should know. Give me all the dirt. <laughs> well, you know, as you and I talked about, this is, so now I'm going to shine some light on your work. Um, you know, wrap out our, our combo here. Um, you got to know the smallest possible audience of your work. You really have to dial into it. Now, you know that, like, although it's easier to talk to other people about it, to apply it to ourselves, it's one of the great paradoxes of being or being, or being um, is that it's so much you help other people do what we're doing, but we yes. get all like, you get all like maladroit, like dumb. You're like, ah, do this. You're yep. um, but you know, obviously you're going to push towards that, but like, you know, you know, Seth Godin's obviously useful. Maybe it does the best work in this space or the cleanest work about how it's like, get the, the minimal viable audience, you know, like what yeah. does you love you. Um, and what do you, what, what probably serve for them? Again, something you and I talked about. Some You know about all that stuff. Uh, that's fun to talk about for maybe your viewers, our viewers. Um, what, I, what I've learned about publishing a book is, uh, first of all, anybody you bring into the process is another void. Um, and they're going to chop your stuff up. And, you know, you know this as an artist and as a creative artist. Every time you collaborate, you got to let a little of your baby go away. It's really hard. And, you know, and some kind of go i find people like oh shucks it and be like well that's just the nature of it but you know i struggle with it you know i fight with it i'm like mm -hmm. oh, ew. like it's mine like don't tell me what this is you know mm. and i i like to i need to be reminded of that when I other people in their art um you know like i gotta i gotta get up a little bit you know and and what i decided to do after a long deliberation with ryan o'hara my my co-author is we we build our own publishing company and um and i you know, how to, you know, get the energy to get for that, figure out what we do it to collaborate with. Had to get an editor, obviously, and I wanted it to be somebody who was going to be harsh. Mm -hmm. um, and this editor's job was to help me make it clean. Um, I also then got a number of content collaborators who uh, gave me feedback on what I was doing. And, and the difference between the editor and the content collaborator for me was content folks really tried to help me winnow out like what I was trying to say and gave me a critical view on that. And then there was, you know, the editor who just looked at every sentence, every word, every piece of punctuation, uh, which was great. And then I, you know, I needed to get a typesetter and a layout person. And I, I are going to be all over that because how it, how it appears on the page and how it appears. Yeah. So fucking important, like everything, you know, decisions about font and, you know, and, and, and churning and, all that, it matters. It really yeah. matters. Uh, margins, um, how, how you kind of negative space, all of those things, they seem like to me, it's very much like, uh, finally, um, 
I had to decide how I was going to get it out. Uh, I don't regret anything that I've done, but I should tell you that I am currently hustling to see if I can get another publisher to pick me up and distribute me. You know, we've sold, uh, we've sold over a thousand books. It's really exciting because, you know, my mom bought 980 of them, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, my mom bought one, uh, but I used to but, um, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I, I sold it to our friends, but we've been picked up by a lot of rando people. It's been great. But right. how, how do you, how do you punch through the tome of a purity? And isn't that the question of our time? Mm. Uh, mm. And it's about stickiness. So and I've been learning a lot about like, what are we saying? Are we not saying? So, I mean, uh, who are you working with is everything, right? So, you know, and, and, and be, be prepared for the hustle to, you know, all that it's never. And, and if you believe in it, um, then you'll have a reason to be different. And I believe in my book, man, uh, my book, it, the more I get it out to, the more people like it. This book is important. It's powerfully meaningful to people. And I, it's been exciting as hell, but it's just getting it to people. You know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. In fact, you are also going to write something that's really meaningful. And sick. Michael, as somebody who's worked with you, you are touched and you, you need to remind yourself of that. You know, I have post-its up around my house that say things like, your book is a gift. Mm. Uh, uh, your work open up people's lives. Uh, and, and I need to believe that and you need to believe it. And that's that, you know, that, you know, I mean, you said those words to me, coach, right? Literally said those words to me directly. Mm. I get about it because to truly believe you have a gift to give people is the first step in creating work that impacts. What else is there? There's expression, yeah. acts, and growth. Everything else is bullshit. Mm. Could you say that one more time? Expression, impact, and growth. And personal growth, yeah. You know? And, and, and that's what love's purpose is. <laughs> love is all those things. Friendship is all those things. I mean, like, real connection with people, all of those things. Yeah. Love that. I, I think you're 100% right. It's like, where do you start? Someone asked the question, I'm going to bring it up right now. How do we stay creative when we feel monotonous? Um, I think it's remembering that you have the capability to always be creative um, and that the monotony might be part of the work. Like it might just be part of like, sometimes things are monotonous, you know, other times, like they don't always need to be divergent and expressive and like, you're all over the place. Sometimes it is like, all right, we realize we need to build this crazy sculpture, but now we need to lay each brick down. Or maybe we're building the sculpture out of uh, these really tiny beads and we need to put each bead down, uh, but it's a 200 foot sculpture, you know? And so now it is monotonous. And I think what you were saying before what really stuck with me is this idea of remembering your power, remembering your purpose and your meaning and what you can contribute. That's the part. Like, I think I would reframe that question to how do we stay motivated when we feel monotonous? Um, one is knowing that creativity is always around the corner if you want to tap into that. But sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes you should embrace the monotony knowing 
that you're still what you're what you're doing, what you're creating through the monotony is powerful. And that by getting it out, it will be an expression of that power. And I think um I find myself in that place all the time. It's like I have a record that I did in quarantine, and I have drums to finish. It's just nuanced moves of the drums. It's nothing fun. Like it is the most unfun. Um but remembering the work, remembering what I want, who I want to hear this, how I want them to hear it, what it could be. Um, remembering your power uh, is what I wrote in, in my notebook. So that, that's my answer. I'd love to hear your take on it. That's beautiful, dude. It's really, um, I, I, I like that you picked up this question too from Peter about monotony because monotony is, uh, it's a part of the landscape. You know, like monotony is to creativity um, what like seagulls are to sailors. Like they're going to show, it's going to show up. It's, it's going to be there. You have to, instead of, you know, shaking your fist at, say, oh, hello, friend. Hello. Um, you, you're an indicator of I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, mm. monotony is the flower on your hands when you're a baker. It's like, it, you're a baker. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. No, and, and I often tell students, young students, to bring it back to what we've been talking about. If you're bored, if you're um, if you're feeling twitchy, if you can't pay attention, you're an artist. <laughs> like you just passed the test, kid, or failed it, maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. You know, it's like because that that is the price of curiosity, and it's the price of iterative growth that you reflect and wonder. And end up running into the the edges of existence, and mm. there probably should be a lot of bored squirrels. But but my guess is that they're not, because existence is boring only when you forget how incredible it is. And I know that corny. Um. Uh, the, the, the way you framed it is, you know, this, this idea, like power, and I'm like, here's your power. And this is the way I touch on it. Yes. Power is, is that this is, this moment is yours right now. We're, you and I, Michael are fully alive, having a rich conversation through the internet, through a zillion technologies that were invented, completely straight, completely strangers to us. People we might have found differences with. And and we are surrounded by people who are dipping in and out from wherever they are. We're a, a magical conversation that would truly be like as if we were wizards, um, not just four thousand or four hundred years ago, but just take twenty years ago. This conversation would be mm -hmm. like, and yeah. it's the prof profound beauty in the banal, the 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 gorgeousness of the monotony. The thing that when you go to the funeral and you get pulled out of because some, somebody you care about is gone and you won't talk to them again. And then boring moments become, gosh, I'd give anything for a boring person again. It's, it's not, it's not comparing. The comparison allows you to have understanding. You know what I mean? It's not better because it could be worse because mm -hmm. it's something different. It makes you go, oh, this is it. I'm in it right now. Or remember mm -hmm. Remember, remember this. I'm here. You know, I, I love. Yeah. Uh, no, wow. that's right up. 
I, I know a lot of that is going to end up somewhere. I know that Christian and I will be talking about this when we recap this call. That was awesome. And I was thinking about the word duality. So I've been thinking about the word duality and polarity. And I realized that they're not the same. So that blew my mind. Um, but they're very close. And because they're very close, they often feel the same. But what we're talking about here is a duality that you can't have the boredom without the creative, expressive existence. Like these two things have to exist because boredom is, you could look at a boredom from the creative view, which is like, this is the complete opposite of where I know I could be. Um, so it has to exist. Then there's the polarity, which is another totally different topic, which is the kind of spectrum between things and navigating that. But this idea that like, Board monotony and boredom and then creativity and expression and fun and play um, are sort of at war. I don't know. I think you're right. It, they're an indicator that you've seen the other end of the spectrum before. And now you're seeing the other end and you're like, oh, I don't really like that. Like it's not generative. It might be destructive. It might be sad. It might be lonely and isolating. And it's like, yeah, definitely. Like it definitely is. And so, um, and it can be, it might not always be, but it can be. And so, you know, because you're seeing both ends, uh, it feels worse. I think it feels worse when you're creative. And that's why I was talking to a buddy today about creativity and, and the depressed creative and, and that kind of paradigm. And I was also thinking about some research I did on, um, schizophrenia and how the, schizophrenic patient most likely to commit suicide is the one who has actually seen their life normally that has like these episodes that are way more like they're shorter. So they'll have an intense episode and then snap back to reality. Another intense episode, snap back. Those are the people that have the most difficulty because they're like, I've seen both sides. Like I know the side I want to be on. Um, so I think it's not really a matter of how do you stay creative? You're kind of saying like, how do I avoid that monotony or how do I get out of the monotony as well? I think is kind of encoded in this question, which is like such an easy answer and really difficult depending on your circumstance to get to, which is literally do one thing. Like I uh, think about the Justice League and there's a line from Bat Ben Affleck's Batman to The Flash. He's like, save one person. Like you want to be a superhero, that's great. But like you haven't done any super heroics. So say one person, that's it. And then you're, you're a superhero. Like if you want to be creative, like do something that isn't boredom, you know? Um, so I think that I, I struggle with the same thing. And sometimes making that first step is always the hardest, but that's what you're talking about, about momentum. Take a step, take another step. You don't need to reflect either. Like just take them. You could reflect later when maybe it turns into something that might need reflection. Yeah. But to, you know, take a step out of the monotony zone. Cause monotony is just taking the same step. Whereas you're saying, I want to take different creative steps. Well, you don't know what they are. So just start, you know, work your way through the, uh, the mountain or trails that are, you know, uncharted and, uh, and be creative. Amen. Just want to say how awesome it was to work with you. Um, 
how great it was to connect it in here. Um, I can never fully express, and as somebody who's had people say this too, it's fully understanding what I think. I can never fully express to you how valuable, like instrumental, uh, our interaction was last year, the thick of the pandemic, um, and the money and the time I spent with you continues to be among some of the best money I feel on things. Mm. You help me look at myself, help me work, and I better work now because of it. Um, I just sold a boatload of books, a uh, number of districts out in Ohio. Um, I feel like I'm really starting to um, flex a little more on, on the work we're doing, and I couldn't have done it without your help focusing it. And also your work in helping me see myself better. And that's, I think, maybe a big theme of what we've talked about here. To all of our listeners out there, I just want to say, like, you know, you said save one person. And I'm like, you could be the person to save. That could be the one heroic move. That's really important yeah. because all of us always on the edge of being awash and lost. And that's just that dome of obscurity. There's a group of people in this world to whom you are the opposite of obscure. You are an incredible power. Touch in with them. That's what friendship and family is about. That's what colleagues are about. To remind us of our own extraordinary greatness. And uh, thank you for helping Michael Morgan. I'm really, really grateful for our work together. That means a lot. And you're absolutely right. I, I think it is through other selves that we understand ourselves so much better. Um, how we fit into people's lives, how we make a difference. I think it's not creative, it's not rewarded, it's not um, monotonous either, but it's very nice to tell someone how important they are, to tell people how they've impacted you. You, you know, we live in a world that's so quantified and so I can't tell you how to quantify what you just said or, you know, a, a kind gesture you do for someone. And I think it doesn't matter at all. I think like the fact, I don't think people do this enough. I don't think people hear each other enough. And I don't think people express the gratitude enough to other people for fear that like people think they're weird, but really like they'll think it's amazing. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's like, oh, wow, I made a difference. Because I would guess that people want to make a difference here. They don't want the monotony. They want to make a difference. Um, but I think that the quantified difference they're seeking is this like Maserati level gold, you know, like, like you know, mansion level uh, impact when really like the work that I did with you, like I'm like, cool, my work here is done. Like that is enough it's enough and i think um the more we can express to each other the difference they made the importance uh i think the better things can become so thank you for expressing that i feel uh equally as grateful to have worked with you and i i expressed that earlier on um and i know you have to go so i don't want to get into a monologue but thank you for showing me that what i just said I couldn't have said if I hadn't worked with you. So thank you. Man, dude, really, really good to talk to you, Michael. I, I look forward to you. Um, thanks so much for inviting me to be part of your world. Um, of course. Thank you. Good 
good luck with everything, brother. I can't see your book. And let me know how I can be helpful in a way, uh, like literally in any way. Yeah. Hear it. If you replay this, maybe you hear it. Um, No ask is too stupid, brother. Feel free to ask me anything. It's delighted to help you realize what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure Christian and I will definitely be in touch very soon. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good one. Take care, Michael. Bye, everybody. Have a great one. Keep doing. Believe in yourself. Believe in each other. Woo!